Hello, I'm sitting with David Eggby, the director of photographer on Mad Max, and Chris Murray, the special effects supervisor on Mad Max. And I'm Tim Ridge, film historian and Mad Max expert. My name's John Dowding, I was the art director on Mad Max. And this is the first time we've ever seen the film together in all these years and I know you're going to enjoy it. Hi, it's David Egby here, Director of Photography. Welcome, uh, it is the first time we've seen the movie. Uh, actually, it's uh, together, it's the first time I've seen the movie in 20 years, so um, it's uh, gonna be quite an interesting ride. I hope you enjoy it with us. Likewise from me, Chris Murray. Now, what was that, that was written in Greek, John, on that concrete, what, what did that actually say, do you remember? It was probably a statement about anarchy. This is uh, the, near the Yuyang Mountains, just outside of uh, Melbourne. The whole thing is con to convey this bleached, arid environment. The lushness of Australia was not captured in this movie. It was all about desolation and um, and uh, not not so much post-apocalyptic, but certainly um, uh, in the future less inviting and more desolate than today. George Miller really did extensive location scouting for the film and so the company moved around a lot while they were shooting. A great introduction for anybody in a movie is about to uh, unfold before your eyes. Uh, John, uh, maybe you want to tell the people what these cars were really like. <laughs> well, I think they'd be lucky if they could do 60 miles an hour, but we managed to make it look like they did. And uh, it was quite often the case that, uh, as I think you said before, the paint was, was drying on them just before we shot. But hey, they looked the part. They only actually had three police cars for the movie and of course the two black interceptors. I think we were actually changing the wheels over from vehicle to vehicle because we only had a certain amount of mag wheels. Now this car is actually an ex-Melbourne taxi. I remember this sequence pretty good. This introduces the night rider who was... Vince Gill and his girlfriend Lulu Pincus. I can remember sitting there looking through the camera and uh, thinking, what the hell is going on here? I'm sure the night rider was in his own world. And I remember um, the suggestion that Lulu had bright red hair and she took that on board quite readily and thought, oh, great. Quite readily, is that a play on words? They're visually very rich and dense characters, aren't they, in Mad Max? They've all got hidden histories. Yes, and they all read quite clearly, don't they? Yeah. OK, we're coming up to a bit here where... Um, See the shot here? This is me hand-holding a camera with a shotgun held in front of it. Grant Page was driving. Here we are. We're coming up, and we suddenly got to this point where we slam on the brakes any second, and uh, we get into a spin, and uh, I had to hand-hold the camera as we did like that spin you're watching now. It was uh, 
It was uh, quite exciting and a lot of G-force on the body. As you can see, we did lots and lots of camera mount shots and it was all about speed and, and ha harsh reality. A lot of improvisation. I'm sure um, uh, the night rider Vince Gill did a lot of improvising. It's all about improvisation, even the photography. I think the whole shoot was from all of our points of view. Here we are in a tracking vehicle that uh, I think was the first uh, vehicle of its sort to be used in Australia. It's actually a tracking vehicle with platforms back and front and, and a crane. And um, uh, it enabled us to get a lot of the uh, shots in Mad Max which were unique to the movie and that was at low camera to the ground, um, travelling at high speed with a big wide lens and uh, uh, and there was a, a lot of it was done at actual speed, you know, 180, 200 kilometres an hour and uh, these sort of speeds, uh, maybe not that fast, but um, uh, within two, three feet of the of the vehicles that we were following or ahead of or uh, pursuing. Um, and uh, it was certainly uh, exciting footage to shoot and um, it showed on the screen. A lot of faith in the drivers, David. A lot of faith in the drivers. Probably today you wouldn't get away with half of what we did on Mad Max 1. Fortunately, there were no bad injuries. There were a couple of slight injuries, but um, you know the car, the car coming past camera then would probably be about six or eight inches away from the camera. Well, here we are at a roadhouse just outside of Melbourne. Um, if my memory serves me properly, introduces a wonderful character of the Goose, played by Steve Bisley. Blonde-haired Steve, out of a bottle for the job, wearing the distinctive um, leathers of the job at Fat Nancy's Cafe. Introducing um, George's highway accident that recurs repeatedly throughout the film. Steve Bisley was actually one of Mel's classmates at NIDA, the National Institute of Dramatic Art. A little bit of uh, gooseism there over the bonnet of the car. My car, in actual fact. And there go the tow trucks like vultures, anticipating that the uh, chase will end in disaster. Here he goes. Wonderful takeoff there. Now here we have uh, James McClausen with the beard, the writer of the movie. And guess who that is? This is just outside of uh, Melbourne near um, um, Williamstown, I believe. Aha, we're coming up to a sequence here which uh, introduces George Miller's um, old vehicle. I think they used his old vehicle because uh, they got it for nothing. You were seen out with him two nights ago. So what? And this is an elaborate setup for the, for the stunt to come, isn't it, really? This, um, this way. There we go, a little My favourite stunt in the whole film. This one? Look oh. at the gaffer, you see the gaffer tape on the front of the blue car then holding the bumper bar on? There we go, this is George Miller's old bongo oh, van. Yeah. Yep. There it yep. goes, look at that. <laughs> Way. I think they'd even strip the engine out of it. Oh, absolutely, it wouldn't have done that, wouldn't have danced like that otherwise. That was Grantley behind the wheel, wasn't it? Grant Page? Yeah, Grant Page did the, most of the uh, stunt driving, he did a great job. Look at this vehicle, still goes. And he's just about to do something spectacular with it. <laughs> Full of dialogue. Full ad lib. John Lee, talk the leg of an armchair. Yeah. Nice smoke, Chris. 
I what did you put on the wheel to do the smoke there? I don't think I put anything on the wheel. Didn't you put oil or a WD-40 or something on it? Might have done. Can't remember now. Now, this is me with my face about six inches off the <laughs> asphalt uh, as these cars are about a foot away. A lot of people closed their eyes in this sequence and when I first saw it, it was uh, the uh, art of cinema cutting. Great stunt. This is even better. A <laughs> <laughs> night rider. Who dropped the bike, do you remember? Grant. Grant or George Kovacs? Oh, I love that. That was, uh, for those who don't know, that was a, an Australian telephone box. A lot of you out there probably don't know this, but the director of Mad Max, George Miller, was a medical doctor before he ever became a film director. Miller had really seen the carnage and the pile-ups firsthand, so I think he found a lot of his inspiration for the film and the experiences he had as a doctor. And when Roop says here, you better send a meat truck, he's actually referring to an ambulance. The movie so far, the whole opening sequence, the whole build-up of this, this whole sequence is geared to one thing, and that's this guy here, and uh, to introduce the character of um, Mad Max. At this stage, has been totally uh, silent and solitary. Must be one of the most gradual character releases in all of uh, film history. And the night rider. <laughs> I'm a fuel injected suicide machine. I love the way the night rider's dialogue comes out over the police radios because, of course, he's stolen a police car. That the Knight Rider has stolen a police car, and it's not just any police car, it's the police interceptor, and the main force patrol are just trying to get it back. The toe cutter! He knows who I am! We're coming into the beginning of the, the infamous rocket gag. Here we are, these low, low wide-angle lenses, which... Uh, Certainly emphasise the landscape and the, and the asphalt element. All about road. I'm hotter than a rolling dice. Step right up, chum, and watch the kid lay down a rubber road. Ride to freedom! Whether it was conscious or not, these really brightly coloured cars on this washed-out landscape worked brilliantly. Uh, there's a little element coming up here uh, where I think Chris Murray uh, should go into full detail explaining. Well, pretty soon that crash is coming up and we put, uh, put a military booster rocket in, uh, in Vince and Lulu's car and replaced them with dummies. That's the blue one, this one here, these, these people. That's the one, yep. And uh, might have been a pretty crazy way to do it. And it, it, in the end, it all turned out well. But initially, we uh, initially we weren't so sure. This is this is me risking my life again. We had two bites at this crash, isn't that right, Chris? Yeah, we did. The first was the rocket car, and the second we towed the car in and blew everything up. What went wrong with the rocket? Didn't one misfire or something and no engine in that lifted the front? Well, the rocket went fine. Here it comes now. That's one of the great shots. See the rocket flame? There it is. 
But a legendary it? explosion, Chris. <laughs> but didn't it end up in a paddock or something the first time or something? Missed the, missed the tankers completely? Oh, yeah, missed the semi and chased the camera car. <laughs> Ended up in the middle of a paddock about half a mile off the road because it misfired and, and the actual explosion was a, a recreation sometime yeah. later. Yeah, a couple of days later we towed it in over a nine-inch log and blew it up, but uh, it was a bold attempt. I don't think military rockets are used in films a lot, but uh, <laughs> probably for good reason. Uh, here, here I don't know, it takes the fun, uh, here we have fun Joanne, out of filmmaking. Joanne Samuel, who um, plays Max's wife in the movie, and uh, uh, Joanne uh, got the part by default. The, uh, the original leading lady um, was unfortunately injured in a, a motorcycle accident about four days before we were due to film her for the first time. Rosie Bailey. Rosie Bailey, that's correct. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Rosie injured her leg and broke her leg, so she couldn't... Uh, play the part, but Joanne Samuel came in at the last moment and did a great job. I think Mel still looks the same, don't you? He's hardly changed. A few more lines, but um, boy, I wish I aged that well. Don't we all? He's got the same boyish quality to him, I think. Yes. <laughs> this is in a beach house at... Um, down the coast of Victoria, Aries Inlet, if I remember correctly. Yes, that's right. One of the very few beach houses on the coastal side of the highway on the south coast of Australia. Yes, it looks completely isolated, doesn't it? Despite the fact it's only half a K out of quite a sizable town. And believe it or not, it's still there and you can actually rent it for a holiday. I remember filming a big party scene there. Um, uh, my wife, uh, well not then, but my now-day wife who I'd met just before Mad Max, uh, played a part in the film and uh, she was hoping it might launch a career. Yes, I remember people coming in with trombones and... Yeah, it was a sequence we shot, a big party sequence we shot on the beach house which uh, never made the final cut. Now Mel looks about 21, 22 there and of course he was. I think the idea of Max's son Sprog playing with a gun here is brilliant. It just gives you the impression that danger is always present. Whose baby was it, do you remember? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, John, but people actually think that it's leather he's wearing. But if I remember, it was actually vinyl because we couldn't afford to make real leather costumes. Well, I'm not sure, but I've got a feeling that most of the cops wore vinyl, but I think Max might have been the only guy who did actually wear leather. Maybe the goose too, but uh, I can remember constantly uh, mentioning to the wardrobe that the, uh, you could see the white vinyl showing through the, uh, the leatherette look on, the, on, the, on all the stitching. That's right, and often the, um, the vinyl would rip quite easily, particularly on the larger actors and um, needed constant repair. Halls of Justice, this is the uh, Spotswood Power Sewer, an old sewerage pumping station just outside of Melbourne. That's right. Wonderful old location. Now a block of condos, John, you said? Um, yes, more than likely a block of condos. We split this location with some other places, and a disused gas works, yeah. I remember. And, uh, and if I'm, was it also the um, 
Melbourne Uni car park, which we were saying is underneath. Which is where we are yeah. now. Yeah. This is Melbourne University car park, and the, this introduced uh, one of the other stars of the movie, which was the black on black, which was... Um, uh, here we are. This is uh, coming up, the ultimate police car, which was a, a GT Ford Falcon a GDHO, which had... Uh, was a, uh, even stock was a very fast motor car, and of course it's tricked out. Uh, John, uh, you might want to give a few details. I know Chris probably got involved in all the uh, the turbocharging effect, but um, it was certainly uh, the other hero of the film. Yes, it was uh, magnificent. I'm not sure how mechanically sound all the engineering is. Um, it looks impressive, though, and it sounds fantastic. He's in a car I spent many hours in it, being flung around. Funny how both um, both the uh, second principal lead and the and the stunt coordinator were both in a cast at the time. <laughs> now you see those other two police cars there. You think there's a whole fleet of police cars. They're actually the other ones. And then we moved around to the background of that shot. It's sort of. Uh, you know, we haven't got a heap of cars, but we, we utilise them many, many times. When do we go for a ride? <laughs> Roger Ward playing Fifi McAfee and uh, Jonathan Harvey, who plays the police commissioner, two wonderful Australian actors. Police commissioner who's on just a break from his taekwondo exercises. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic notion gives you the distinct impression that he's not too popular down at the Halls of Justice. Now this is again the Spotswood pumping station. We're up in the um, uh, the tower um, rooms. That's why they're such tiny rooms and little narrow stairwells built in the in the 20s. That's right, but it gave us fantastic dynamic. That's wonderful. Now for those who will notice, there's a little spider. Look at that great shot. Wonderful shot. There's a, there's a spider actually tattooed on the top of the Roger Ward's head. Now this is the a beginning or the entrance to the Westgate Freeway in Melbourne before that actually opened the bridge and I remember clearly renting in a couple of HMI lights to light the scene because uh, we didn't have a lot of big lighting equipment on this movie and we actually had to rent it in just to light this scene. Now to me it seemed enormous at the time but when I look back now it's not a large area that we lit but uh, it's a fairly graphic scene. Here Viv, Viv Mephan's makeup. Viv Meffin, yes, makeup artist extraordinaire. Got all these tow trucks in. I'm sure everybody just got a slab of beer and 20 bucks for turning up. They did indeed, and I also remember the ambulance got sent back with the decal that I'd invented. It was borrowed from the ambulance department for again a slab of beer and sent back to the ambulance department with our new decal on it. Hey, 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 come on. This, is, this scene is electrifying. I remember the day it's sort of uh, uh, these 200 or 100 motorcycles came in and um, Hugh Keysburn, who played the tow cutter, the head biker, certainly uh, uh, ran the roost here. And um, I remember the, all these motorcycles coming into town and revving up and they all reverse, as you can see, they're about to reverse into the gutter. They all sit up there and he revs up the engines and signals them to all shut off at the same time. The, the hairs were standing up on the back of your neck. Mm, it's all with military precision. It's wonderful, you know, and, uh, and and a lot of these guys had just met that day, you know. Which, which town was this? 
Clunes. It's a small, sleepy country town southwest of Melbourne. It definitely has a western frontier feel about it. One of the unique things about Mad Max, which should be mentioned, is that um, the, the principal actors, um, the main biker gang, the actors, were all um, sent their motorcycles about a month before we started filming. So it, uh, uh, by the time they all arrived on the set, um, they were already an established gang. And you can even see Hugh there, his, his right eyebrow is shaved off. It's called troweling or some, some terminology, at, uh, which he decided to do. It's just this little twist, these little little elements that just changed the whole thing. But they were certainly a, uh, a gang of their own by the time they got to Melbourne. What a well-cast mob, eh? Look, it was just—it was just the right group of people at the right time. Uh, Tim Burns, who plays Jimmy the Boy, yeah. um, uh, Hugh Keith Burn in the in the lead there. Uh, that, that was handheld, by the way. Um, that was me hand holding the camera. No such luxury as steady cams uh, and dollies. It's a. Uh... What are those inflatables, John? Oh, they're, they're just sort of straight inflatables. What interests me here is that you've got Reg Evans, who plays the station master, who's also the garage keeper, and Hugh Keys Byrne, and I think the guy who plays Bubba, and I can't remember his name. Uh, that's uh, Jeff Parry. All Shakespearean actors. Yep. Point to take note of that we um, have this group of um, trained Shakespearean actors, um, which are... On the, on the platform as you see it now, thrown in amongst a group of authentic real bikers. Um, the Vigilantes. The Vigilantes and um, various others, and at one stage the Hells Angels, that um, seem to have a, a common understanding of one another and uh, fit it in very well. Entirely. Yes. That's what I meant. Poor bastard. The night. It's, uh, we were mentioning before how um, uh, Hugh Keys Byrne, the toe cutter, almost came out with a different accent every day and or a different performance uh, level that uh, varied. Uh, and it reminds us very strongly of Marlon Brando and Missouri Breaks, who, uh, who every performance, every scene just about had some different accent and different expression and different wardrobe. What a magnificent actor Hugh is, eh? He's really something else. Uh, yes, I, uh, I tend to agree. Absolutely. And he seemed to inspire everybody around, them, around him, whether it was uh, fellow actors or other technicians. And Tim Burns, we have Tim Burns uh, just standing next to him, who plays Johnny the Boy. Yep. Take him away. There he is on the right of screen there, very young-looking Tim Burns, another great Australian actor. Baba, Johnny. This is the so-cutter wanting a private moment with a rather small coffin that contains the remains of the night driver. Now here we have this. This is commonly known as doing a donut, and um, uh, this guy is uh, one of the vigilantes, if I remember rightly, and uh, it's his own motorcycle. And um, I might add that um, I remember seeing one of these donuts um, at the corner of Swanson Street and Flinders Street in Melbourne. Um, during the making of Mad Max, and I'm not sure who, but uh, somebody on the film did it. 
David Brax with a drinking straw. Playing Mudguts. That's right. And, and the guy in the red leather is? Uh, Kundalini. Played by? Paul Johnston. Introducing Kundalini. Now this, um, I must admit, uh, this uh, scene in Mad Max is probably, um, I think, the most violent scene. Uh, uh, what follows here is um, this, uh, not seen, but in, in insinuated um, violence. Although that's not too uh, calm, is it? That's a stirrup drag. Uh, was that Grand Page being dragged there? I think so. Uh, similar to the old stirrup drags in the westerns, they sit them on a leather plate and drag them down the street. Now, this is a wonderful car. Uh, didn't the uh, the exhaust pipes on the bonnet pop off during that shot? Oh, they kept falling off, yeah, and we had this uh, weird figurehead on the front that kept falling off too. And uh, just a bit more glue and stick it on. Remember that uh, Byron didn't have enough money to make a break of glass window to chuck the bloke through? So he came out through the door? That's right, yeah. Well, we did make the door, yes. I think you did a brilliant job on the inside of this car, John. I mean, the whole thing is just wall-to-wall -wall fur. Now, this is a fairly graphic scene. I think the imagery of this scene was used as the promo on Mad Max. And um, Now, this is an undercrank shot. You can tell by the, the, the staggered movement that we undercranked that a little bit. Uh, that meant we slowed the camera down so it looked fast on the, on the screen. Now, this is all shot hand uh, camera mounts and uh, hand held inside the car, and um, uh, it's uh, all shot very crudely but very effectively. Extremely effectively. It's, uh, this was... Um, and this is real glass breaking, real metal being broken. Real cameraman inside the car hand holding. Exactly. Real axes. No breakaways. No, nothing made of rubber. Very brave job, Dave. Now, they're those exhaust pipes. Yeah, easy to uh, knock off. I don't think they repaired this car after, did they? No, I mean, nowadays you'd think, oh, I. I saw this the other day and I thought, hey, what is that? You know, a 67... It's a Ford Fairlane, if I... That's an incredible montage, isn't it? This kind of frenzied montage of destruction. It's quite... It's incredibly well done and quite horrific, isn't it, really? Now, this shot here. Just remember who directed violence in the cinema part one and two. That's for sure. I think that this scene was actually cut in either... I think it was France or England when the film was released. They basically just cut just after the hatchet first comes down on the roof of the car. about that weird, weird bike, John? It looks strangely Baroque in that environment, doesn't it? That it's a late 70s uh, icon, which I suppose is a, an extension of the, uh, the bike culture. Does Baroque mean it's not running? <laughs> a wonderful machine. A chopped tricycle. <laughs> It's fascinating how you get squealing wheels on tire on dirt road. Yep. Oh, 
Okay, we're gone. Hey, Max, he looks... Yep. Hey, fella, hey, stop! Hey, fella! Hey, fella, stop! <laughs> what a tush. Remember Viv dribbling glycerine down his buttocks? Yes, glycerine and uh, a bit of movie blood, I think. Here's the aftermath of the Tokata gang's attack on the Chev, uh, signalled by a signatory donut on the road. Johnny the boy, Tim Burns. Despite the fact that the bike gang did a very good job in destroying the car during the filming of the attack sequence, uh, we nonetheless had to go in and uh, open it up like a tin can and rip the roof lining out and the chairs and to give the effect of the violence that had been perpetrated. The aftermath damage really tells the story and it's so horrifying. Very graphic imagery, very graphic. A young woman, uh, never acted before, I believe. Mm. Wrapping yourself in one of the car seat covers. Wonderful composition. Yeah, that, that format certainly lends itself to um, sort of these sort of shots. That's the um, Todayo format. Well, it's, it's a cinemascope format, you know, the two, three, five to one um, anamorphic lenses, but. Um, and everything's going to be all right. I still don't get why um, why Johnny the boy wasn't taken away by the gang. The only thing that comes to mind that maybe he returned, maybe he's uh, too rebellious or um, for the gang, because throughout yep. the, the the film he is he is. Uh, uh, reprimanded often by the toe cutter, you know, as, as the young, rebellious uh, uh, gang member that um, just won't conform, you know. Certainly too, Im too impulsive for the rest of them. Being such stolid conservative gang members. <laughs> <laughs> True. Now, this is obviously an undercrank shot again. The camera is slightly, um, slightly uh, slowed down to um, make the image look a bit faster. We didn't do it very often in the film, but occasionally we did it. This is Jeff uh, Perry playing um, Baba Zanetti. And Hugh Keys Burns sitting in Byron Kennedy, the producer's office chair, which he had to do with for a day or two whilst we had it in the back of the truck. We are going to teach him, Baba. You are going back for him. No way. Not me, not for him. Another different accent? I'm not sure. Yes. Bit of, bit of English there. Hugh's native English coming through. Wasting your time, the sky goes right! It's nothing like a knife rider! Bubba Zanetti was the only one who didn't take the muffler off his motorcycle. <laughs> This is the old disused gas works in Port Melbourne, playing as the police headquarters. Interesting choice to have the police station based out of a sewerage processing factory. 
Nobody seemed to bother for striking the portrait of the Queen. Or uh, file the records, it seems. A few bare bulbs. A few, quite a lot of bare bulbs and, and wonderful shadows and uh, depicting an organisation that's simply beyond <laughs> organisation. <laughs> What happened to the car? What do you think? It's a wonderful scene that's just about to come up with the lawyers. Perhaps it's a result of an anxiety. Yeah, this is this is one of my favourite scenes in the film coming up where the um, uh, the, the lawyers actually uh, get the release of Johnny the boy, and I think um, uh, Steve Bisley. Um, oh, here we have John Lee with his voice uh, amplifier because um, his throat was damaged in the sequence earlier. But uh, I thought Steve Bisley uh, did a great job in the scene. It's a shame we don't see more of John Lee anymore. Yeah. Yeah. What do you say, Got no place Whose idea was it? Was that George? <laughs> That's George. Uh, the medical side? Yeah. <laughs> Anything slightly warped physically would be George's idea. A lot of handheld in this scene. Handheld camera, that is. I love Johnny the Boy's suit. <laughs> yeah. Well, he'd just been to court, I guess, you know. <laughs> and he's borrowed it from somebody. It's too tight. And I love the way his, his tie's gone as well. The lawyers are fabulous. Hey, please, what's going on? What's, what Let him go, Charlie! Letting go. Hey, who's this? Keep out of this. What's going on? No one showed, okay? Look there, Charlie. Just letting go. Get it, Charlie. Just let him go. No one showed. No one. Oh, now, here we have a scene uh, uh, where um, Steve, uh, uh, Bisley and Mel Gibson are uh, disagreeing about an element of the fact that Johnny the Boy is about to be released. And uh, uh, Mel Gibson and Steve Bisley were at uh, NIDA acting school together um, and graduated the same year. Jesus Christ, you're not going to let him walk out the door, Fifi. That's exactly what you're going to do. Yeah, shut up. Oh, too. Come on. Keep her on, Charlie. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Come on, it's all right. It's cool, all right? It's cool. It's Handheld camera just to in, uh, heighten the uh, urgency of the scene. Uh, very well. Uh, we're a very well acted scene, I think. And wonderful to see these lawyers in this dung heap of a police station, which was... Literally full of. And this is this is for real. This is uh, this is almost for real. Yeah, it is. I remember them restraining each other. Um, uh, Steve and Mel got into it. They they did a great job. And also Tim Burns. It's quite a violent scene played entirely without stunts or anything like that. <laughs> See them laughing at us. I don't believe it. See you later, Goose. It's been a pleasure. No stunt doubles. Actors doing it themselves. I do remember this sequence from a cinematographer's point of view. 
It was a large courtyard with very high walls each side and uh, we had one day to shoot and as you will see the shadows are getting longer and longer and uh, <laughs> by the time the scene was finished at the end of the day I think there was about six inches of sunlight left in the courtyard. Do you remember which the last shot of the sequence was? Um, Maybe this one. Now there's the Westgate Bridge in the background uh, which had not yet been opened. That your black plastic there, John? More than likely, probably hiding something we didn't want to see or just giving the illusion of something derelict. Ah, another favorite. This is introduces Polly Styrene. That's right. Who is the mannequin that they just pulled off the back of the motorbike. There she is. She needed quite a lot of repainting before appearing on screen. Very graphic imagery, very stark. Davy Brax. Who plays Mudguts. His relative is um, Premier of Victoria. Stephen Brax. Hmm. Mudguts, get out of there. A lot of these uh, elements of wardrobe and props and uh, were, were, a lot was brought on by the individual actors. I think they they certainly played the part and lived the part. I, 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 they didn't get out of it at the end of the day. There was no get out of your costume and go home and uh, put on your shorts and your T-shirt. These guys lived this, these characters for a month before the film and during filming and probably some of them for, for many years after. That's right. Um... No, there was no handing the costume back in at the end of the day. And there's a thing, Chris. Um... Mm. We actually shot it, if I remember. Yes, we did. No, no, no movie charges. No, it was a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, it's the easiest way to do it, isn't it? Well, yes. Well, but you're not allowed to anymore. I know. No, but when you're looking out to sea, I mean, what are you going to shoot apart from polystyrene? <laughs> oh dear. Put your finger shocking. in you. Absolutely shocking. Well, it seems so pragmatic to me. It's extremely I've, practical. <laughs> I've always loved this sequence, David, the way you just dealt with this and we just face off straight into the sun and they disappear into this bleached Well, you go with it. Some, end of the day, the sun was very low and just record it, just go with it. You know, you speak to Tim Burns, who plays Johnny the Boy, he describes how the roof of his mouth was scored, was, was scored and shredded for days after with the... It's a great shot. Look at it. It's marvellous. Wonderful. Look at that. And you know they're going off to have a long Sugar talk Town about Cabaret. reality. Now, this is a little sequence that I've been asked about many times. Um, <laughs> this is a nightclub in South Yarra in Melbourne. I forget the name of the nightclub, but um, uh, I think, John, you gave us the... Uh, was the illuminated floor there or did you provide that? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was there, David. Given the budget, I think it must have been there. Um, it was uh, an interesting uh, location. I like that. And it was one of the yes. few times I was able to use fog filters and... And fog. And, and fog. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And uh, here we have uh, Johnny the boy uh, fixing um, uh, the goose's motorbike. Very atmospheric. This is a very seductive scene. It's nice, nice to do a nightclub scene which doesn't have flashing lights. It's now just this is Rabina, Rabina Chaffee. Rabina Chaffee playing oh, the, the singer. 
very sultry looking woman. This scene always reminded me of something out of Blade Runner. It's a very Blade Runner sort of sequence, you know. Now the, the next scene, next sequence shot is basically a shot coming up is one of my, I'm sorry, leading up to the bedroom scene the morning after is one of my favourite um, shots in the movie. A little bit of halation there on the windows, a bit of fog filter, it just sort of uh, tells the story very well. It's got a real morning after feel about it. And this surprising thing on the door that... <laughs> John. <laughs> no, that was um, John Lee was standby props at the time. And he, <laughs> who played uh, one of the one of the policemen, of course. He played Charlie, who copped the saucepan in his throat. That's and he right. said, "John, wait till you see the rushes. I think you really enjoy this sequence." <laughs> <laughs> and here we go, turning on the, the fact that the the gear change starts the motorbike. Uh, by the way, I still rode motorcycles most weekends, and. Uh, I can tell you, for any biker that watches that, <laughs> he's totally blown away. Well, as it says at the beginning, a few years from now. Now, I think this is Terry Gibson, uh, or the Pie Man, who was um, the head biker of the vigilantes at the time. Um, I'm pretty sure he did most of the goose's riding. He was certainly um, riding the motorcycle um, uh, for a shot that's coming up, which I'd like to describe as it happens. There's uh, Tim Burns, Johnny the Boy, sitting inside my old car. Burning himself. Burning himself, seeing what it's going to feel like. Just shows how crazy the guy really is. This is a great shot. Now here we are about two inches. We're sitting right on the, on the asphalt here. And, uh, here comes the motorcycle, which oh. is literally about eight inches from the camera. Great cut there. You know, using the frame as a proscenium arch, basically. Here we are on the tracking vehicle, low, very low to the ground, travelling at about 100, 120 kilometres an hour. Wide lens really um, accentuates the speed. Now this shot here, now this is a shot I did handheld on the back of a motorbike. Now if you look, the speedometer's at 180 kilometres an hour, I think it is, or <laughs> thereabouts, it's, uh, or 160, it's uh, really rocketing along and I'm handheld on, and Terry Gibson was riding the bike, leaning over, and I'm sort of, uh, holding this camera, just leaning on his back, uh, using the uh, the windbreak from the, wi the tiny windshield. And, um, what sort of camera was it, Dave? It was a, a, a BL, quite a heavy camera. Mm. Um, but it was the only way to get the shot, because otherwise, if you'd have fixed the camera to the, to the here you go, if you'd have fixed the, um, the, uh, the camera to the uh, bike, it would have gone over and the horizon wouldn't have stayed horizontal, you know. This is a shot I remember where I asked the stunt guy, George uh, sorry, Kovacs, George, Kov uh, George Kovacs, where the um, where the bike was going to land, and um, uh, it wasn't quite exactly where he said it landed about two feet from the camera. <laughs> All these motorcycles were um, donated by Kawasaki, weren't they, John? Z1000. They were indeed. They were effectively asked to do what we liked with. We could decorate them, treat them re-engineer them as we wanted to. And, uh, you know, in those days there were big motorcycles and there were 1,000cc quackers, you know, they were, they were a fairly fast motorcycle, a production vehicle that um, 
the production motorcycle that was released by Kawasaki. Now, I, my memory is we lost a day filming with this vehicle. We did, and that was because we had two of these vehicles. And uh, what happened, they both didn't go, or they both broke down, or? No, what happened was that, I remember this, um, we had two of these, so what we call sort of underwater swamp vehicles prepared. It's the only occasion that we had two of anything. And um, the wrong vehicle got sent out to do the stunt that we're just about to see. And it wasn't, it didn't have the engine power or the torque to do the stunt. Well, this would have to be the slowest tracking shot we did in the whole movie. Yes, it would. Now, I remember this, Johnny, the, the Johnny boy, it was like so, I was in the car handheld when um, we did the insert of, uh, of, of, of the, of the uh, wheel hitting the... Now, here we have a situation where, um, whether it's intentional or, or unintentional, you have uh, the prettiness of the Victorian countryside probably uh, as a parchment for um, for uh, what is one of the most um, uh, graphically violent scenes in the movie where um, you have uh, blue skies and wispy clouds and farmland and uh, which is um, the, uh, the environment for um, what is a very ghastly deed. Steve Bisley spent many, many uh, moments hanging upside down. You can tell by his eyes being so red. Even though it was coloured water dripping down, it was in his face. It was a very uh, uncomfortable scene for Steve to do. A very well-performed scene by um, Tim and Hugh. Hey. You know, when the young, the young one is confronted with the truth and the, and the implacable evil of his gang leader. Yes. You know, we, we, we mentioned um, Shakespearean actors before and uh, you almost need somebody of that magnitude to, um, to play. Look at Hugh, look at, look at how, how intense he is and, and, and Tim. It's, it's, Boy, they're such great actors that they really haven't been, I think, um, recognised and, uh, and um, rewarded for what they contributed to this film. This is in uh, a real hospital in, um, in Kew on, uh, in Melbourne. Um, available light, if I remember rightly, that we just shot with what was there. I might have had a few lights through the doorways. Uh, this particular scene where um, uh, is, is graphically portrayed by simply putting a bare bulb um, underneath the sheets with... Um, with uh, it actually wasn't Steve Bisley under there, but it was somebody that was in, in some um, uh, graphic position. Uh, you know, again, the George Miller's um, medical... Um, uh, expertise was 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 very um, very uh, strong in, in in these visions. The hand actually be belonged to um, the actress who played Mae Swayze. Oh, the older woman. 
you know, here we've, the sound effect is great here, the breathing apparatus, you know, this is, this is Mad Max seeing his best buddy, we obviously, and what's strong is about it, we don't see it. You know, that's probably stronger than actually physically showing it. Because the hand sets up the horror of the vision. Yeah, and the shadow and, and his reaction and... Max! Hey, Max! That thing in there, that's not the goose. No way. So, you know, that sequence basically sets up the rest of the film. Now, now it's Shakespearean, it's revenge and that, tragedy. Well, exactly, it's revenge, and uh, that shot where Mel um, sat up, that was actually, uh, 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 I think I cut up a shoebox um, and put a slit in a, in a cardboard shoebox and, and uh, Mel sat up into a slash of light across his eyes. I must admit I've used it a few times since. It's a winner. Here we are back at the uh, wonderful, apparently isolated beach house. I love the way that the movie can move back and forth pretty fluidly between the really fast cut action and stunt sequences and the more traditional character-driven shots. What's that structure in the background, John? Well, the, um, it's just a chair with some bamboo poles and a, something that'll move in the wind to give a bit of kinetic to the sequence. Um, and to um, counterpoint, uh, one, of the, one of the more um, quieter moments in the, in the film that just balances the the rest of the frenetic action of the story and um, gives us a pause before the film takes off at a, another great rate and time to think. It's, to it's quite a well structured really, isn't it? Hmm. It gives us time to digest what's been going on before and give us fuel for what's going to come. Now there's nothing. Here I am. The more you see this picture, it's funny that the, there's barely a wasted frame, isn't there? It's, it's very spare. Yes, I agree. Now this is a wonderful scene between um, Roger Wood, um, Fifi McAfee and obviously Mel playing Mad Max, um, where Mel wants to resign from the police force. And um, Roger uh, uh, telling him he'll be back, he'll be back. Roger had his uh, head shaved for this part. And, uh, but by the same token, we had decided to put a spider tattoo on the back of his head and um, every time he was on set I would draw it on his head with a Nico pen and uh, his uh, scalp was extremely sensitive um, so it became increasingly difficult to draw this tattoo on. Now Roger was uh, as you can see he's a very big man and uh, in his early years was a wrestler I believe and um, he still maintained his, his fitness. Mm. This is again the uh, Spotswood um, pumping station, I believe. 
That's right. Yeah. Uh, a wonderful location uh, which had not been used for many years and uh, was pretty run down and built in the Victorian era. This uh, lovely spiral staircase which just lended itself to um, great imagery. That's right. All the windows all seemed to be in the right place, didn't they? And the texture on the walls and we did. What's that sort of necklacey thing under Roger's, um, under Roger's, um, well, whatever it is, his kind of His scar. cravat. Um, I don't know. It's just a whole bunch of gold chains, I think. Okay. And his nice plastic watering can. Yes, because he, he loves his plant. Yeah. He, he is in touch with his um, sensitive side. He's a wonderful character, Roger. You still feel the same way when you come back? Well, it's okay by me. I'm not going to change my mind. Get out of here before I decide to come with you, huh? That's really nice, David, the way you've got Max, but Max's shadow that follows after him. A little choice. There's only one place to put the light, John. I know, but you know, <laughs> in the stairwell, you... cinema history in the making. <laughs> in the stairwell, <laughs> you put the light in one spot where you can't see it. You know. I love this, the fact we cut to this bleak, arid environment. It's a, it's yeah. a strong cut. And a bright red car. Always now, works. And this shows a bit more of, of, of country Australia in, in a pleasant way. You know, this, it's a young family. He's uh, resigned from the police force or he's on leave of absence. And um, they're just out doing their thing, you know, happy... Married couple, another lull before the storm. Yeah, it's lovely. And here's a, for once in a while, a, a real member of the public. Juxtaposed against industrial landscapes. Yeah, yes. which I think is, a, is an important issue. You know, we, we never actually fully escape from it, do we? He's got a really no. cheesy graphics on his van. Hasn't he? Space graphics on his van. Very much of the time. That's probably one of the few things that really locates us. In the time when we made the film. Wasn't this at, um, uh, well, I forget where that was actually, that, that water sequence? Uh, I can't remember. It feels like it was um, just the north of Melbourne there on the river. Guess I always counted on you and the standards. And here again, Mel shows us that he can also change gear and display some nice, sensitive acting moments. And it's also great to slow the pace down and take a break from all the action. This is an incredibly quiet moment compared to the action that we've been seeing. I suppose Mel's nipple's worth a lot more than it now than it was then. <laughs> I don't know. You, you were probably aware of that at the time, weren't you, Dave? I was looking at Joanne. <laughs> so would I have been. It takes its time. It takes the time that it deserves. Trying to keep up with it. I don't think. I think I was busy testing fireballs when all this was being shot. <laughs> the life of a special effects supervisor. <laughs> Pyro. I, I seem to recall one of those tests, Chris, where I was driving up the uh, main north road out of Melbourne and... Gosh, this is a very moving moment. You're talking about explosions. And seeing the top blow off... <laughs> Where's your off sensitivity? <laughs> I'm not paid for my sensitivity. I, I don't want to wait ten years to tell you how I'm feeling about you right now. Do you know what I... Ah.
This is a great location, a car yard we happened to chance across that uh, looked like it could come from the beach and it's just full of so many cars you just simply wouldn't believe. You bend them, we mend them. Yeah. There's a lot of John, uh, John-isms here, isn't there? <laughs> a lot of John-isms. <laughs> you can't smell it, you can't eat it. What else? That's right. <laughs> Out of that. Yeah, we had a blowout a while back. Raunchy, very raunchy. What's a donk like? Yeah, the donk's fine. Look about this. A lot of you are probably wondering what a donk is. It's just another example of Australian slang. It means simply an engine. How about this tyre, huh? Have it fixed This character's wonderful. The grease monkey, he's called in the script. He's a great actor, too. What's he? What's he Nick Lothoris. Nick Lothoris, that's right. Yeah. Yes. I've worked with him a few times. Yeah. A couple of times since. He's, he's tremendous. I remember pouring a bucket of oil over him, basically, to get him to look like that. I think, what the molly F, um, are you, uh, there's a word in there, what the molly... Molly frock. Molly frock, I can't say the word, but um, what the molly f are you doing? That's a scene that comes later on when uh, Mel comes back and l releases the jack that he's on, uh, of the vehicle that he's, he's uh, laying under. Joanne, he's about to stay and get the flat tyre. I'm not quite sure why he stayed, but um, uh, Joanne um, is about to go off and... Uh, Confront the gang. Yeah. Oh, at a milk no, bar. I keep saying Joanne. In actual fact, her character name is Jessie Rokotensky. Now, this is a very unique place that not many people know about, not far out of Melbourne, called Avalon Beach. And it's uh, it's a beach community from the 40s or 50s that... Um, that is hidden away. It's just an amazing environment with all these old beach houses right on the water. Still the same? I believe so. Still the same. Now this is a sequence that uh, it starts to build again. It's interesting the structure, how we go into the lows and then bit by bit we start to... Um, you see this background action over in the, on the right there, there's, there are people just exercising and... But, but I'm sure that was their own um, improvisation. Absolutely. And all this stuff from the milk bar, I actually uh, removed from my local milk bar at 5 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> brought it down to set in the back of the ute, and then the following morning I took it back. There's a sequence coming up where, um, where um, is it uh, Kundalini? Who, whose arm gets ripped off? I forget who. Kundalini. Kundalini uh, wraps the chain around the pack rack and... Uh, rips his hand off and um, and I remember in Russia no, it went on and nobody actually picked it you could pick somebody's hand up there um, holding on to the pack rack uh, uh, sort of uh, the things that get through in filmmaking Toe cutter gets it in the nuts Nothing worse than a vanilla ice cream in the face Yeah there we go. There we are. And zip. Kundalini's hand. Who was, that? Who was the stunt you did that? That would have been Paul, I think. You must have spent some point. Like the sign says, speed's just a question of money. How fast do you want to go? Score, which is is very classical and very lush, 
very lush and, 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 and embellished for such an action piece. I guess the, the contrast, the extremes of contrast in the film, in the performance, in, 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 the, in the imagery, is, is also enhanced by the, the extremes in the music. You know? There are scenes with nothing or this high classical score. They left the goddamn spear, not a bad one either. <laughs> Who are they? A couple. Passing through. Said they were heading north, maybe. Again, that would have been Hugh's uh, improvisation to grab hold of Nick Lathuris' nose like that. Probably didn't tell Nick either. Did you see it? You've got to grab it. <laughs> it's like a signpost. Exactly. Sorry, Nick. I can still see his face now. It looked as if he just swallowed a everybody. What a mean old lady you are. Huh, boss? Nothing mean, mate. Oh. And nothing. This was during the era of um, the sin bins, they called them. Uh, everybody had a sin bin, and uh, it was a panel van with some imagery painted on the. Um... Here's the hand. Yikes. Here's the hand. Yes. Yeah, a $5 joke shop hand and a. 60 cent shank of pork. <laughs> to attract the dog. Gary Day. Mm. He's going to place the hand with somebody who cares. <laughs> George was going to use a guy with no face, but sort of chickened out at the last minute. Now, is this a family friend or something? Or? I suspect so. If no one makes a claim to it, I say we can forget it. Sounds okay to me, Jess. No. If Ziggy says so, believe me. The music's pretty, pretty lush and insistent now, isn't it? Something's building. The violins are must getting, be, must getting be. pretty violent there. Now, I, mem I, I, I remember this location, John, but I don't remember where it was at. Tell it. It's about 20 miles north of Melbourne, and the main road north just veers slightly to the right and there's this large hill ahead of you. And there is, on top of which, is this large clump of fir trees and this old homestead. It's there to this day and I remember driving up towards that one day and the top of the hill blew off and when I got there I realised it blew off with a giant fireball, that is, and when I got there I, I found Chris Murray who's sitting just next to me, and <laughs> Chris was doing a test for yeah. a scene later on in the movie. There's a few fireballs, if I remember. Just you hit those hands and I'll rip you apart. You no! Huh? No, huh? look at them! Huh? No! Huh? No! Huh? No! No! <laughs> but this was a wonderful environment. I think it's still there and is possibly used as a horse stud farm. Quite wonderful. I'm getting a, a little peaceful moment that is underscored with immense threat. But again, uh, no music. It's interesting that um, the romantic scenes or the intimate scenes have no underscore of music. The music is left for the building of the um, uh, the scenes that are become exciting. It's it's. Uh, I've never noticed that before. Mm. You think this would be a magic a magic moment for music? Yes. Oh, hang on. As I mentioned that, a bit of music comes on. This is what 
This is the theme that Jesse plays on the saxophone at the beginning. It's Jesse's theme? Jesse's theme, She yeah. didn't play that. No, but I always like to think Joanne could play the saxophone. Here we have Jessie. May Swayze played by Sheila Florence. And she, she of Prisoner fame for many years. Yes, a, a very popular show in Australia, Prisoner, and England, I believe. It, it, it did very well in England. Um, only second to Neighbours. Wonderful actress. Yeah. Notice how May is wearing these calipers, those braces on her legs. George was so into the idea of everyone having some kind of handicap. It was probably inspired again by his medical background. Well, it was, yes, it was an idea that we, <clears throat> wherever we could, we'd come up with giving, giving people um, physical deformations. And uh, so Sheila ended up um, wearing, wearing the calipers. But if you recall, it led to a dreadful accident because she fell into a rabbit hole or something. And broke her leg. Yeah. And broke her leg. Now, this is a great sequence. This is cl typical is, classic yeah. movie making where... This is Hitchcock. It is. This is it was very, very cleverly done and, um, and conceived. It's, it's just walking down to a beach and, and uh, what you see is a very pleasant environment can uh, turn into a very threatening environment. This is down, I believe, near Black Rock or, or that area in Victoria, uh, down in the bay, Melbourne Bay. Yes. Port Phillip Bay. I remember Joanne kept falling out of that bathing costume. She wasn't um, that happy about it. This is lovely. A dog covered in sand. It's just so real, you know? Yeah. Good use of seagulls there. Mm. A few crows mixed in. Again, absolutely no music. Which leads you to think that something dreadful is going to happen. Yeah, now, now we're heading back through that, what initially was a very um, inviting um, location with no threat, and uh, it was suddenly turned into a really very threatening environment. Did you like this, David? I noticed the sh tree shadows on Joanna being quite... Yeah, I would have had a, um, a bit of fill light on her there, mm. which is uh, a little bit hard to get away from sometimes. No, but it works really well, because the shadows falling across her body are good. The subliminal cuts. And the music again. Yep. Look of it, I'd say the shots of Joanne and the shots, those shots were done on a separate day. Oh no, we got sun out now. I think you just had one day there from memory. And while you were doing that. You were dressing the farm, wasn't it? I was actually making a dead dog. the dog. Tell us about the dog, John. Oh, well, the dog, I think, just arrived on set in time, and that was modelled on my own dog. Maxie Fairchild, who played the character of Benno, the, the mentally impaired son of, of um, May Swayze. Uh, 
love that big gap in the back of Max's pants like Mace Swayze had. has just fixed them as he's grown. Might add that Maxie Fairchild, apart from Mel Gibson, was the only other actor that appeared in Mad Max 2. Really? Yep. He was tied to the front of one of the vehicles, if I remember, uh, early on in the film and was put out of his misery um, uh, suddenly. Right. It's going to be all right. Come on, darling. Come on, Jesse. Well, let's go into the house. Oh, Florence, eh? You've had an awful time, darling. John, where was this? Was this inside the farmhouse? This is actually inside the real farmhouse. Yeah. Beautiful, classic Australian homestead with huge windows. I thought the house was abandoned. Well, Isn't the case, house empty? <laughs> we must have drafted in that case. <clears throat> yeah, my recollection is the house was abandoned <laughs> and you put all that in. I just... Isn't that from your lounge room? Probably. Oh, yes, I do remember the, uh, the throw. But I'm just astonished at the amount of stuff that we all have managed, managed to do in the space of time, given the money. Well, the one thing I remember, well, well, there was the no money. Of, I do remember having money. quite a long shoot for, for a film in 1977, 78. I, 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 if I remember, it was like 11 or 12 weeks shoot, which was um, unheard of. It's huge, wasn't it? That's right. Didn't mean we had any more money. We just spent more, had more time to do it. And also, we were able to go from you know, one side of Melbourne to the other. Yes. Out to clunes, to small villages and so forth. And without consideration for the time it would take off the production. And that was wonderful. Yep. Except because of less traffic. <laughs> it probably was, but people don't do that nowadays. No. They want. We were, we, were, we were very, you know, everybody was very concerned about the look and, then, uh, and the feeling of it. There's a great shop coming up, which is uh, all the bike. That's the one. Yeah. Mm. It's our little mother. The kid. Look at this that. one. Look at yeah. that. Look at that. Yeah. That mud Davy breaks up on the. He breaks up there. I think that was his idea to suspend himself from the brick wall. But he did that constantly. as the human sculpture. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, it's almost sort of a, a Japanese samurai warrior, Kurosawa sort of looking imagery with his hand there. <laughs> now we enter the Scottish, the Scottish uh, accent. Scottish accent. Just the best fun these guys had. Oh, they were so clever, really, when you think about it. You don't need a sense of humour with a pretty face. Now, what is that little mark on Hugh's face there? Do you there was a little tattoo we invented for them which, frankly, in the upshot became irrelevant. Yes. What do you want from me? It was meant to ID the gang, but hell, with characters like this, did we need to identify? Um, no, this is great, mate. <laughs> yeah. I look, hate look. guns. What happened there, Chris? Real shotgun, real drum, real water. No bullet hits. My God, just wait till I tell S SG workplace shot. health and safety about that. Indeed. 
We've tested it before, so we knew the pellets wouldn't go through the drum. Here we have Kundalini with no hand. Calipers. A real baby crying. And May Swayze walking in calipers, but with a damaged leg. Yes. And here... <clears throat> Constantly taunting the bikers. I should have given them a proper breakaway door, but all I did was uh, loosen a few bits and pieces, and it took the force of all eight of them to break the door down. I'll tell you, if anybody, if anybody could have broken the door down, it would have been that group. I know. They did very well, and it looked great. Okay. Actually, that looks like a real brick being kicked out there. Mm. It really was. Bang. The gate was breaking away, that wasn't it? Yes, unfortunately. Look at that. That's not fake. That's real wood. Yes. I wish the gate had been. It's Max and Benny, late as ever. They're always late, these guys. They never turn up on time. We have a lump of fence or gateway impaled in the radiator of the vehicle, which... Uh, and some Payne's Wessex smoke under the bonnet. Is that what it was? And a very nice dripping effect, Chris. Beautiful stuff, Chris. Mm. This is a horrendous sequence. It is. It's sort of, again, insinuated and not seen, but, um, mm. boy, it's uh, pretty horrible. I remember reading somewhere <clears throat> sometime before this that in most road accidents, it's the case that people's shoes fly off. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we see something we see in a moment. Mm. But the idea of actually putting in the rev counter into that shot is, sequence is extraordinary. Oh, the shoe and the ball tell, it says yeah. it all, doesn't it? So yeah. And the bits of, see the bits of asphalt that are melted off the road and yeah. And then you listen to the soundtrack and you just hear the crows cawing right at the very end of that show. Mm -hmm. Again, the mu here we have the music. The music is uh, very dramatic, but... Uh, and there's no reality with distance and, and, and time and, you know, the fact that, that they got there in that given time is, is, is inconceivable, but um, you don't care because you're in the moment of the scene. How far one has to run, travel, uh, is irrelevant. It's all about the moment. And the, you didn't need close-ups there. Cut to the black clouds, the highway, the ambulance. It's uh, it's so well structured. Here we have Joanne. We were insinuating she has one arm missing and uh, broken arms and legs and. Um, the guy on the right there, Peter Felmingham, who played the doctor, was actually uh, an instructor in basic training for me when I joined the Navy. Um, turned up on the set one day as an actor. He didn't want to give you instruction, did he? No, I was in the position to instruct him for once. Perfect. Was he still in the Navy? No, no, he was in civilian life, but uh, he, was a, he was a good guy. I remember him as a good guy. The lighting was all about tragedy, you know, and, and, and it was very, very designed in the way that... Um, you know, under lighting and, uh, and uh, just lighting what was needed to be seen, you know. 
Yeah, the lensing was 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 pretty important in Mad Max. Um, utilising the format and the lensing was was a major part of the film. And here we have a sequence where Max is um, contemplating again revenge, as he did once before with his friend the Goose, a man in turmoil, and he seeks revenge. It's, a, it's the samurai warrior out to revenge his friend and his wife and his son and uh, and here he is here is you know a bit of a dissolve there through to the uh, you know the, the the two the man and the machine that's beautiful it's taking no time is it bing there he is it's just keeping intent well you know here he's totally focused totally focused here he comes up to the mechanic and uh, and he wants a bit of information and he seeks the best way to get it instantly Another camera on a sandbag? Uh, I think that was a camera on a sandbag. Did a lot of sandbag in Mad Max. <laughs> It'd have been just outside the car because in a moment it gets dropped. Yes, right. I know, what the what molly... What the molly what? Yeah. What the molly frock? Molly frock. Ah, what the Christ fire! I want to know about the tattoo. I mind my own business, don't I? I mean, they'll kill me, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> Why such a vintage car, John? Was that your dad's car or something? <laughs> I think it was just something in the area that, that sort of made us think it would be good because... Um, you know, there's something about older vehicles that work, newer vehicles don't. Um, older things have a reliable quality. A bit like film technicians. <laughs> Nowadays we can say that, in those days we probably just intuited it. I had a red beard in these days, not a white one. Earlier on, we had this shot where he opened the case and all his uniforms there. It reminded me of Cat Baloo. Yes. Where Lee Marvin opened the, 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 the box and had his, all his fancy gear and his six-gun out to go out and seek revenge. Yes. Is it where they're stealing the fuel? I know. You know this is one lot. of the first scenes we shot. It was. I think it was on the first day, actually. Here he goes. No yeah. safeties, no nothing. nothing. Yep. Unbelievable. And here they are, obviously siphoning gasoline. Nick Gazana, who's quite a famous musician in Melbourne. Sure is. Well, I'm not quite sure where their motorcycles were. And here we have Black on Black, the first time we see her in full glory. This is the ultimate police car owned by the Bronze. We still have polystyrene there on the back of the motorcycle. Mm. I hope she had a shaved face shot off because... Um... What a great shot. Mm. Of course, the turbocharger there and the uh, high-low um, gear ratio was totally fake. I hate to tell all those fans out there, but it was all fake. OK, now this is the, uh, uh, the Mad Max beginning of the destruction of the Toecutters gang. Johnny the boy. Here we are in a tracking vehicle um, 
on the actual crane arm high. Here we are, a camera mount, back to the tracking vehicle on the high crane angle, moving along the, the road. Uh, we're probably doing about 60 kilometres, 80 kilometres, and the camera's speed is, is enhanced to, um, to make them look faster. That shot the wheel was probably the car stationary. All these uh, stationary shots, that's a, that, that car could really move. So um, it, unlike the yellow police cars, it was uh, able uh, to do um, uh, high speed. Here we are, these are, un these are under crankshafts. Now this was a real stunt that perf performed once. Um, we have, uh, most of these guys were from the Vigilante Bike Club. This guy was really hit on the head. Fortunately, he, he stood up and uh, after the scene and walked away. But um, there was no trickery there. They were done for real once. I think the slow motion enhanced it. First shot, day one. How many cameras? Oh, this, yeah, I remember this. This was the first shot we did on the movie, day one, which was yep. on the Geelong freeway, just outside of um, Sunshine, I think. And I think it was one take. That was it, and we had to move on because we were on the bridge illegally. Uh, yeah, we didn't get permission. And didn't you have something to do with not having the key for the, the lock or something? You know, he was always meant to use the crowbar, David. Was he? Okay, I'm not sure. Was that a fake telephone, John? <laughs> yes, it was totally fake. This was a, uh, a zoom out from uh, obviously a field. Here we have the black car. In pursuit. Now, I think the, the tractor was there, or the, the, the semi-trailer was there, in, in order to slow Mad Max up, wasn't it? He couldn't get past? <clears throat> Absolutely, that's its sole purpose. A fabulous graphic looking thing. I'm sure we didn't pay anything for that, more than a slab of beer. The slabs of beer that were paid to people is uh, amazing on this film. Should be called Mad Max, the slab. <laughs> Mind you, there are certain parts in Australia that you can still get a lot for a slab of beer. My memory is not all that good, but I believe we put this sign here, and it's a government uh, prohibited sign, probably by the state guano department. And uh, right here we've got a little setup where uh, Johnny the boy is playing possum, is playing dead set up Max. Now, um, this car, this classic car, whatever happened to that? I believe it's in a museum in the UK called uh, Cars of the Stars that uh, somebody, I just heard that the other day. It really, it's quite unique. Yeah, it is totally unique. I love that image with Mel and the, and the, and the telegraph pole. That's my knee, and that hurt like buggery because I was making my own bullet hits and they wouldn't let me wear them on Mel. <laughs> oh, that's very unfair. <laughs> and this is, this is now Grant's arm underneath the road in a slot cut in the asphalt road. Oh, I thought it was a leg. It was an arm. Yep, for real. And Grant did that by cutting a slot in the asphalt road and putting foam underneath the slot and painting. Anyway, it was pretty horrific. Quit toying, Baba! Mm. There's a city engineer somewhere that is uh, looking for you. There's a great stunt here where Bubba gets pulled off his bike. That was a rope pull, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, they yes. had a cable, cable tied to him. There. Yeah, you, can, you can actually see the cable very, very briefly if you look at it. 
That was before computer graphics where they could actually digitise the image and remove the cable. I remember this day, I spent all day trying to get hold of that eagle, which we've just seen briefly on the fence. What about the flyer? You see the jet, jet streams up in the air? Sorry, and there's a fly around Hugh Keysburn. Why couldn't you get rid of the fly? I don't know. We probably liked the fly at the time. Jet streams. And... There goes Huey. Hugh's off. You have to understand that all these actors actually rode their own motorcycles. It was unlike, to, you know, apart from the occasional stunt, 98% of the riding was done by the actors. Now this is... Uh, and that's a real sea eagle sitting on top of yeah, Bubba Zanetti's live you, body. I don't think I've ever seen anybody stagger quite as well as Mel. There's a lot of it. Oh, but it's great. Look at it. It looks, you know... It's had his kneecap blown off. It looks very painful. Another bird shot. Black on black. And here we have the toe cutter being pursued by Mad Max. And how was that, David? What were you doing there? Well, we were probably doing about 160 kilometres an hour and, uh, <laughs> and uh, with a rope tied around our waist. Uh, I mean, who said we didn't have any fun doing it? <laughs> uh, well, I tell you what. Uh, here we are. We're on a tracking vehicle here on a crane up high. It's probably about 20 frames a second, 18 frames a second. That's, uh, that was a, a fixed uh, shot on the road with a little bit of dolly. This is non-moving, rocking the vehicle. This is handheld over the shoulder of the driver. Um, this is tracking vehicle from the rear. This is a uh, tracking vehicle, tracking vehicle, tracking vehicle from the front. Low, wide angle, probably doing 120, 160. They come screaming past. Here we are now, here we come up to the... Now, if anybody wants to freeze frame, you'll notice that the actual bull bar at the front of a vehicle was painted by John Dowding on a sheet of steel because the guy that owned the vehicle no way wanted to drive his truck over a motorbike. And if you freeze frame on, on uh, Toe Cutter's eyes, they bulge right out of his head. Which was a prosthetic made sometime later and shot in the studio. Absolutely, but it works so well. Which shot was that? The, the, by, um, Mel blinking and the whole, this sort of stuff. This sort of, well, he, he's driving through the night, driving, pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. How does he know where to go? It seems to be fairly random, his, his search. Yeah, this is, a, this is a trekking movie in many ways. He is pursuing the last of the gang. And, and I guess fate or, or, or leads him. One telltale sign. The wheels, lead, the, the, the tire skids leading off. And camera on front of the vehicle. The abandoned motorcycle. So uh, obviously a, a bad deed has been performed yet again. But this is the end of it for Mad Max. This is the end of, of the gang that he's been pursuing. 
I love this scene. It's where we really learn what could happen to any of us if we're pushed too far. Hey, man, this, this, oh, this isn't what it looks, man. You know, I, I just come down here to check it out, and this guy, he's already snuffed. He sees an opportunity to revenge his friend, the goose. Angle. in the same way. Remembering he's been shot in the leg, he's doing pretty doing good. Pretty well. Yeah. His kneecap blown right off. I remember Tim Burns saying, that really, really hurt. I would have done too. He, he's got a real handcuff around his ankle. He's being pulled by the wrist. Hey, listen, man, will you? Listen, will you? Listen to me. Do you remember Tim saying that, uh, he remained handcuffed to the ute uh, whilst everybody else went off and had lunch and left him there. I don't remember that, but we probably did it intentionally, I think. Yeah, more than likely. I think we, uh, like the toe cutter, had had enough by the end. Is that coloured water? Yes. Just that once we used coloured water instead of petrol. No, no, you use it when you, when you cooked... Um, Steve Bisley, too. It was coloured water. Oh, we did, yeah. Jesus, you can't kill me! Not for stealing a man's food. He was dead for Christ's sake. I don't need him anymore. What are you doing? Yeah, what can you say about the scene apart from his intensity? It's wonderful. All I can say is payback's a bitch. The chain in those handcuffs, it's high tensile steel. It'll take you 10 minutes to hack through it with this. Now, if you're lucky, you can hack through your ankle in five minutes. Go. You're bad, man. You think I look silly, don't you? <laughs> Don't bring this on me, man. Don't do this. This is the eponymous Mad Max shot. And Chris Murray, Easter Resistance. A perfect fireball. It was indeed, and so brief. And it was zinc and sulfur as the driving agent, and uh, dieseline and trichloroethane as the actual fireballing stuff. But I it was perfect. It, well. it was. Still, Legendary but brief. Still weather. Well guys. That's it. I would like to thank and compliment everybody that was involved. Absolutely everybody. Yeah. Espe especially us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I got I to tip my lead to the actors. Yeah, Having the, watched it again after so many years, it was all about them. They were bloody fantastic, weren't they? What a bunch. Wonderful. Wonderful. Excellent experience. The funny thing is that, I mean, you see each shot and we all know this is 20, what, three, four years later. We can all remember exactly what happened every minute of every day. Well, I actually feel quite moved. Well, I've got to say that uh, as a special effects guy, it's a lot better than being an underground hard rock miner. And um, I'd, I'd recommend that anybody underground um, who's doing drill and blast, 
have a serious consideration to getting into special effects because that's what I did 23 or four years ago and it's been a lot easier and I'd, uh, I'd recommend you do that. Well, for me as a cinematographer and operator, it's, uh, you know, I look back 24 years later and I think, wow, let's uh, take the bull by the horns and keep doing it because uh, just for the fact that it was shot so two decades ago doesn't mean we can't do it again today. And the, the rawness and the, and, the, and the crudeness of the film is also very um, warming and uh, soul-searching. Exactly. And um, I'd compliment, compliment that by saying, um, make it up as you go along, guys, because I'm still doing it and um, might have a bit more backup nowadays, but you basically make it up as you go along and that's what you do. Here, here. Take the bull by the horns.